This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to jump right into the text. Uh, So open back up Mark 6. Uh, And as you're in Mark 6, I just want to remind you where we've been. Uh, We were last week uh, in, get this, Mark chapter 5. All right, good, good. A couple of you were with me or you just read the context clue. So we were in Mark chapter 5 last week, and we had heard about the woman being healed with Jairus' daughter. We had that question of, hey, I thought you were coming to me first, but the God was actually healing both, uh, and he was doing it in his timing. There was this question of timing, and there's this theme developing about people not quite understanding God's timing. Remember earlier, uh, as we were studying Mark, as we were looking to that, uh, we had the storm that came up, and the disciples were worried that Jesus was what? He was asleep, that he'd forgotten them. He's on that boat, he's in the back, he's asleep, and they're going, do you not care that we are perishing? Uh, and we were reminded, indeed, he did. That's why he was actually there in the flesh with them on the boat. He was already in the boat. So we pick up Mark chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. So we've left Jairus' house. Uh, indeed, his daughter has been raised. He went away from there. So just to remind you, that's where we were. So we went away from that healing. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? We once again kind of get two stories in our account from Mark. In the first part, we have this section of the amazement of what he's doing, uh, and then quickly followed by in his hometown, no one seems to think this is possible. Verse 3 gives that to us quite plainly. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And then if you didn't realize what that meant, they took offense at him. Because you could read the beginning, oh, okay, maybe they like him. He was like the great carpenter. This is the one they really looked up to. Uh, we actually get accounts out of Josephus, an early historian who actually tells us uh, of people having plows uh, that Joseph made. It's kind of an amazing thing. An extra biblical source, it's not in the Bible, but Josephus records plows that were used up to 100 years after. Uh, so just to, if you were curious if Joseph was good at it, he was. <laughs> he was really good at it. But he was supposed to be, in the eyes of this crowd, just a what? A carpenter. Do you remember those years gone by now where the family you were born into is supposed to be your profession forever? You're a cobbler. You're born to a cobbler's son. You will be a cobbler. You're a cooper. So you will be a cooper. Most of us just forgot what coopering is, right? Anyone? Barrel making. That's right. Yeah, a couple still in there. They're like, oh, that's what that last name is? Yeah, it was about making barrels uh, to set in the sea and to know that you have to move forward. So as we look forward... We take a look and see where this is headed next. So the offense has taken place because Jesus isn't doing what he was supposed to. (laughs) He was supposed to be a carpenter. He was supposed to make things for them. Verse 7 and 8. If you don't have the front end in line, the back doesn't make much sense. So I talked about two stories. The front end of this is people being offended 
by Jesus being something else. And then he tells his disciples this. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Now, this may seem odd to you, but do you remember the reception he just got in his hometown? It was cold to say the least. So they've just seen Jesus in what you think would be his strong bed of support, and he's got nothing. And then he tells his disciples, hey, I'm sending you out with nothing. Now, most of you, if you actually were to go in with your July 8, 2018 mindset on, if you just heard your teacher get beat up, destroyed, and a fence taken at him, and then he says, go out and don't take anything with you, you'll be fine, most of you would have thought, I should probably take some extra food, have some backup, traveler's checks, then you were like, nope, don't use traveler's checks anymore, I'll take something else with me. Uh, but you, just, you would have had it all prepared. So the statement of Jesus is astounding that he would suggest you should go with no extra food, no extra clothing, because who is going to provide? Jesus, yeah. Out of the mouths of babes, right? All the adults are like, I don't know, maybe it's a trick question. It's not. Jesus would provide. He would have this for us. The disciples saw the reception, and some of you would actually think it's irresponsible. So you could read the text, you say, oh, this is a biblical text. This is Jesus' time. But, you know, we wouldn't do that today. Do you realize the faith Jesus is inviting them to walk out in? Go out and preach and teach into a world that's offended by what you're saying and take nothing with you and see if I wouldn't provide for you. Most of you are like, that's not how we plant churches today. Isn't that odd? We don't. Uh, We have all these grandiose plans and others, and God invites the disciples to do something unique in their time. Fully trust on the Lord. Fully trust that he would sit there. Because this isn't about what you pack. This is a study in where do you place your confidence. Do you have faith? Remember last week, faith overcame fear. It overcame the fear of Jairus to not fear that his daughter was dead. It overcame the fear of the woman who had that disease of a blood flow for years that she said, if only I could touch his cloak. Faith overcomes fear. Move to verse 10 and 11. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you when you leave. Shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. So what did they do? So they're told they should go into these homes and they should stay as long as possible. Unless they're not receptive. So what do they tell them to do? Do they tell them how to vote? No. Do they tell people about how to hire people? Is it instead like, okay, so now we have to tell you how to, because you're being rude, we have to tell you who to hire. Do they tell the people what language to speak? Do they tell the people where to live? Do they tell the people what television station to watch? They don't do any of those things. (laughs) See, the words of Jesus don't invite them to say, you have to vote this way, you have to do this, you have to work here, you have to do this practice, you have to speak this language. Instead, it's even more astounding. Some of you looked at it. It's called verse 12. Turn there. Look at it. So they went out and proclaimed people should repent. Okay, so an audience that wasn't receptive to them, 
They don't have extra stores of food. They don't have extra tunic. They don't have their money belts. They don't have anything else. And they're going out to tell people that they are actually turned from God. And the charity just started to outflow, right? See, this is what verse 10 and 11 are about. Just go there and tell them what needs to be said. The church has grown lazy. We have thought that it is about getting people in the room and then they'll be so happy with what we do in the room that they'll stay. It has nothing to do about what we do in the room. It has to do with what God does when we gather around his word. They need to hear that God calls all of us to repentance, which means you and I are what? Well, that's not fun. I've still thought (laughs) we as a church should have some fun one time and send out huge mailers and just say, we're sinners and so are you. Hope you join us. You know. I mean, why the gimmick? We've got great coffee. We've got you know, great children's programs. And we've got amazing music. We're just a bunch of sinners. And the Lord told us, you are too. Gather with us. See, verse 12, that's what the, the heart of this is. So they went out and proclaimed people should repent. It doesn't say they went out and said, we have great buildings. Oh, we, we built wonderful kingdoms. It says, no, God's calling you back. And thanks be to God, he called us back first, so now we're just voice boxes of a God who's called us back. And he's called us back to say that the Lord has something to say about how you live your life. And we're not all that worried about what television station you watch or what language you speak or how you hire or do other things. Just let the Lord recenter your life. All that stuff will it'll follow. Because it'll, it'll turn out when the Lord actually grabs a hold of your life, there's some television shows you're just not going to watch anymore. But I really like it, Pastor. It's so good. You just have to forget the opening, the closing, and the middle part. But outside of that, it's really, really good. All right. Some of you are processing that now. You're like, well, that didn't leave a whole lot of good wholesomeness in it, did it? No, it doesn't. Uh, And we all get trapped in them. See, he just says, go out and tell people they need to repent. God's people are funny, though, right? Jonah, anyone recall the story of Jonah? Most of you recall Jonah. How many of you can tell me what happens in Jonah chapter 4? It's the funniest chapter of Jonah. Yeah, see, the fish is where most people... 4 is where Jonah actually sits down underneath a tree that he didn't grow, and it grows up and it shades him, and then it goes away in an instant, and he curses God. You took away my plant. (laughs) And God says, why are you so worried about a plant that came up overnight and left? Are you not worried about Nineveh? People? Won't you actually go and care for living human beings who need to hear of repentance in their life? See, we get so stuck up about what we think church is about. It's about leading people back to a Lord who made them. It's about reminding people that all people, not just those outside of this wall, but those inside the wall, we are all so easily caught up in rebellion against God. And sometimes we just don't see it. So for the disciples, as they go forward and they seek repentance, look at verse 13. So they go out, they preach repentance, and they cast out demons and anointed many with oil, who were sick and healed them. They went out with the power of the Lord and the Lord followed them. They trusted truly in what the Lord was doing and the Lord allowed promise to flow out because they said, Lord, you've got us. You've got us entirely. 
We're not going to do what we think is right. We're actually going to listen to what you say. And if it offends someone, verse 10 and 11, if it offends them, we're going to do what? Did you catch that? We're not going to run away in fear. Oh, they're offended. Instead, we're going to finish what we need to say. We're going to tell them Christ has come into the world because this world is so broken and distraught that it needs a Savior. That Savior came in Jesus Christ who died on a cross for you. And that by confidence in His name, you will have eternal life. And if you would turn to the Lord in this day, He would make you His own. And if at that moment they still don't welcome you, the disciples were invited to what? Just wipe the dust off their feet. And here's the hardest part. Walk away without saying anything. Don't curse them. Don't yell at them. Don't damn them. Just realize the Lord's word and seed has been planted. But the disciples made sure that when they went, they told people they needed to repent. They didn't go into the house and just say, oh, I love the sports team you love. Oh, I love the, I, I, I grew up in the state you grew up in. We're, you know, we're best friends. We're best buds. I'm not there always to be someone's best bud. I'm there to let them know that the Lord wants them back because he already owns them. He paid the price for them. They just don't know it yet. And that we shouldn't fear speaking of Christ. Who is it that you're afraid of when you speak of Christ? I'm just afraid someone's going to, someone may be offended. Jonah was upset because a plant was taken from him. And the Lord had to shake him and say, really? A plant? I I got bigger things for you, Jonah. I want you to say people. (laughs) Someone may be upset that I say Jesus' name. I know. And they may live because of it. They may actually change their eternal salvation, may be changed because God humbly allowed you or I or all of us or one of us or a group of us to sing praise to his name when someone said, wow, you guys are different. You just say kind of what something is. Your church just said you're a bunch of sinners. The other church just told me that, you know, other stuff. We just need to name a thing what it is. It's why he tells them just to walk away. Finish what needs to be said and walk away. But life's filled with difficulty, is it not? The second reading was from St. Paul. And as St. Paul writes, he talks about the challenges that he faces. And one of the great theological questions that's asked of pastors and preachers and those who study the Word is Paul talks about having a what? A, A thorn in the flesh. And it talks about the number of times, if you could take it away, like, I just, I'm struggling with this, Lord. Why is it that I have this concern, this battle, this doubt, this struggle? And it's never labeled for us. I think the Lord was good to not label it to us because we can all sit there and say, we have a thorn. Whatever your thorn is, some of you are like, thorn? <laughs> Pastor, I got a thorn bush. <laughs> Paul, Paul thinks he had a thorn. I'll, sh- I'll show you thorns. Well, I'm not here to compare who's got more thorns or less. I'm here to let you know What happens when we face one of those thorns? Paul wrote this. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That thorn that Paul had in his flesh, 
he leaned all the more on Christ. He leaned harder into the Lord to get him what he needed. He had no fear because he knew the Lord could handle the weight. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, wrote Paul, of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The sooner the church starts to acknowledge that we are sinners, that we are broken, and that we are in full need of Christ, the easier it is for Christ to shine through. If we want to hide and pretend and play games that somehow we are a righteous group of people who are better than the rest of the world, we are fooling ourselves. We need to take out into the world, we are broken, but in Christ we are healed. We are aching, but in Christ we are comforted. We are distraught, but in Christ we are made whole. We are beaten, but in Christ we are lifted up. We have nothing to fear. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.